Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Movie Mavericks Podcast. Movie Mavericks, speaking of fucking long, uncut European cocks. The Movie Mavericks Podcast. Now for your hosts, Jason and Trevor. I can't wait. Hey now, everybody, welcome to a special episode of the Movie Mavericks Podcast. I am Trevor Anderson. This is you over to Citizen Dildo himself to let us know what movie we're talking about. We are talking about Vanilla Sky, and yes, both Trevor and I are both like, the dream today. We are going to get into this Cameron Crowe, Tom Cruise collaboration. Uh, they're second after Jerry Maguire, and I, I gotta say, this is probably the strangest movie to ever gross $100 million at the box office. Would you agree? The most um, difficult film? I mean, I know Inception's kind of difficult in there. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I have to look at a list of movies that scored triple digits, but I would doubt this would be the weirdest one. I mean, I always put this in the same uh, universe as Fight Club, you know, kind of a dense. Yeah, and it is. Club. Yeah. I mean, Fight Club's uh, along the same lines of a, an altered reality, right? A dream state, if you will, which is very much the idea of this, right? This came out in theaters in December 2001 and was one of the big holiday films. It was promoted very well, – you know, we're going to let you guys listen to the trailer in a little bit. But it was promoted as mm-hmm. – it's kind of a mind-bending, uh, maybe even a romantic comedy uh, because at the time when this was being filmed, uh, Cruz left his wife, uh, Kidman, and got with – Cruz, Penelope Cruz, who was notorious for dating co-stars. I think she already had dated Matt Damon and Nicolas Cage. We go on to date Matthew McConaughey before marrying one of her co-stars, Javier Bourdain. But I know way too much about that woman's personal yeah, life. What you... <laughs> <laughs> I don't talk like that. But uh, so she then will, you know, at this point they get together and in the press they wanted to know this was the big you know, a selling point of the movie to me. So I thought this movie grossed a lot by people going in there expecting to see Sparks I guess. Fly. I mean, this is rated R. The movie that the Spanish film this is based on is also rated R. And I will say this is a lighter version of that, but they're both pretty dark. 
extremely dark uh, themes. And Cruz, Penelope Cruz plays the same role in both the Spanish and the original. I never saw the mm-hmm. Spanish one. Is it worth getting uh, getting hold of? Uh, well, it's a '90s movie, right? So it and it's Spanish, so it's low budget, and it fits into that whole foreign indie flick stuff um, that was going on at the time. So it's worth watching if you like that kind of stuff. But again, it's a darker movie, and it's not as uh, um, I don't know full. I guess well, uh, Roper said it best, right? When, when the Roger Ebert thing, when he compared the two, he said that that one was like the uh, uh, not the acapella, but the uh, um. What version? The, version. No, the, this one was the, it was the, the full orchestra version. version. Yeah, and the, and the the 97 uh, Spanish film was the acoustic version. He's kind of right. So just watch this one. Same fucking movie, really. Uh, what I liked about this film's release, though, was that it got people realizing that Cruz was going to do some dark stuff here uh, as an actor, and it was still going to make money, no matter what he did at this time. He could really, he was still the right. golden boy. I mean, uh, go on after this to do Minority Report, which is uh, very uh, dense once again, still mm-hmm. makes a lot of money. Then you're looking at uh, Collateral, which is a very dark film, makes good money. And then, you know, gets with Spielberg and does War of the Worlds and Mission Impossible 3, and that's when he had to go into damage control for his career. But at this point, he was <laughs> able to get people to watch things that maybe they normally wouldn't have because I never saw the original, but I saw this film multiple times. And uh-huh. it's got a 90s slickness to it. I know it was made in 2001, but this is a very 90s-feeling film. Is it just because Cameron Crowe is, I don't want to say limited as a filmmaker, but is, is more of a writer than a director? Do you, you feel like this is... I don't think he's limited in any way as a director. I think he's a really good director. The movie's blocked really well. It's directed well. It looks great. Um, if anything, Cameron Crowe's limitation comes in creating a storyline that is completely cohesive from beginning to end. <laughs> you know, almost all of his movies tend to not fit well together. But if you take them apart scene by scene, they're fantastic. Well, I thought maybe because that this was... I mean, a lot of his movies are oddly structured. Uh, Jerry Maguire, to me, has never been the home run that everyone well, says always, it is because it has that structuring problem, I thought, too. Have you uh, realized that all of his movies end the same way? How so? Right. Well, just think about how these movies end. They end with just like kind of like a shrug, like, eh, you know, life goes on, right? And and it's kind of like the, a, a version of Happily Ever After for him, except it's really not Happily Ever After. It's just the Ever After part. It's just... You know, you know, people maybe they learned a lesson, maybe they're better for it, but eh, you know, they they go on. And this movie's the same way. It seems to be part of his temperament as a as a person. When you listen to his commentary on the the track and whatnot, he's mm-hmm. um, he's got kind of like malaise to his speaking pattern and just his overall attitude. So, um, but he seems like a, a really interesting guy and obviously can write well. But I thought. You know, I like the writing of Crow, even when it's bad. I mean, Aloha's bad, but there's moments that are written well. Oh, it's fantastic. It, yeah. It, it, but this movie, um, I thought he was maybe handicapped a little bit by a pre-existing script. Once again, I haven't seen the original. And because of that odd structuring of a foreign film, having to bring it to an American audience and retrofit it, uh, I thought that's why maybe this is such a bumpy, f- such a strange flow to this movie. Because this movie does not – it feels like there's three distinct segments that are about 40 minutes long to make up its 135-minute running time. You know, or, or roughly forty-five minute blocks. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would agree that it's a little. It feels foreign, doesn't it? The first forty minutes of this movie works the best for me. W- what do you like? I mean, are you part of the second? Because the first forty minutes um, is the David Ames life and the Playboy well, I, lifestyle. I mean, yes and no. The first forty minutes can has some really slow moments in it. 
uh, as do you know, the last half as well. So I don't know. It's, this whole movie is a mixed bag for me. Um, and really the reveals and, and really getting into it as to of what is actually happening and when are things happening is I think confusing, even though Crow has, you know, kind of explained it, so to speak, but he's really, even for him, uh, according to that commentary, uh, he, there are several different ways of looking at what actually happened in the movie. So what's, I mean, what's the point of it, I guess. That is, uh, what I was left at theater thinking did you see this in the theater or did you catch this on video dvd i saw this on video okay uh, probably actual video right vhs back in the day uh maybe my bad a rental hmm. vhs full screen version uh, i saw this in the no, theater. no we had dvd at that time so yeah we know. definitely had DVD. this is one of like the first uh kind of special edition paramount dvds that they released that had all the, the bells and whistles on it with the commentary i went back and looked at my uh my copy of that even though it's streaming on netflix right now it looks looks great um on netflix but the DVD has a, a couple of production featurettes and things like that, and mm-hmm. uh, it's got a, it's got like a, a press tour circuit with crews. And looking uh-huh. at it now, it's almost slightly creepy because he's just uh-huh. he's saying nothing. Everyone's great. The movie's fantastic. You know what I mean? It's like that. 90s. It's the beginning of the brainwashing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's like it just come it's just the bullshit's coming out of his mouth. The sales job of it, you know? Right. Uh, it's like the Arnold Schwarzenegger well, sales kind of, job. Best movie ever. That, that's what he it. is. That's what he does. Yeah. It's part of the press tour. I get it, but it's a little it, eerie. Yeah. Let's break and listen uh, to the trailer for this film, and then we'll come back and get into the movie. Open your eyes. Most of us live our whole lives without any real adventure to call our own. What is any life if not the pursuit of a dream? They're all waiting for you. Courtney Love called to see if you got her email, and the art department still needs a decision on the color of the letters for the bikini issue. David, which one? Hi, honey. Oh. Don't say soon. I hate it when you say soon. Soon! You slept with Julie Gianni again, didn't you? Julie's a friend. Sometimes we sleep together. You can do whatever you want with your life, but one day you'll know what love truly is. What do I have this pleasure? The pleasure of Sophia. I would spend the rest of my life with that girl, man. I am not going in there. Oh, yeah. Good night. My heart going boom, boom, boom. Grab your things, I'm going to take you home. Beautiful. How much for? One kiss. That smile is going to be the end of me. David Ames. You're following me. I just felt bad at your party. When did you stop caring, David? Slow down, Julie. When you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not. Do you believe in God? Open your eyes. We've got a situation here. What is this? I didn't do this. You've been charged with murder. Boo! There's no murder. These people are dangerous. They want to steal my life! There's an explanation for all this, David. Like I had said, I think the first 40 minutes of this movie is the best because uh, we'll listen to that Ebert review later, but he hits it on the head when he says there's like a real movie existing in this mm-hmm. this mindfuck, you know, this this dream state. And 
I, th- I like the realness of that. I wish there was more of that realness and less of the, the trickery. What do you think? Well, I mean, the scenes, uh, really the characters are the thing, which is what he said, which makes the the realness come out, right? Because no matter what's going on in the movie, um, the, since it's all technically taking place in his mind, but these characters still react as if they don't know that, right? So even in the weirdness, they're still they're still acting normal, they're which, is, which is weird, right? <laughs> That's why it's so off-putting, because there's so many elements around them that are not... Uh, real. I mean, the first words of the film, "Open your eyes," said in Spanish, which I, oh, you know, is obviously an homage to the original right. film, and then goes uh, the trickery from the voice that is apparently it's not Penelope Cruz's voice, but it sounds an awful lot like it into Cameron Diaz's voice. And then I had said to you, you know, he pulls out a disc and says, "Stop recording messages on my machine." And so I always thought it was slightly futuristic because of that. He has the technology of the TV rising from the the ground, and uh, you know, obviously the hologram at the party. He had the Tupac hologram. A decade before it was, uh, yeah, it was even you know a real. Well, thing. and that's the thing. Well, we can go through the what Cameron Crowe says um, about this then real quick, real quick. He says that uh, the tech support guy is you know is telling the truth, and it's 150 years have passed since uh, David killed himself, and everything's in the lucid dream. That's kind of what you led to believe, right? Just normally. But he says there's evidence as well as that the entire film is a dream because there's the sticker on David's car on Tom Cruise's car says two thirty oh one as a date. And of course, that's not a date that exists, but it does give you that the year oh one. So we know this is supposed to take place at the time that it came out. Um, and then I guess the after the, the car crash, um, it could be a dream while he's in a coma, which again, what I mean, what? And then the entire this is the one that got me that was interesting. These are just different conspiracy theories by Crow himself? Yes. So, but oh. listen to this. The entire film is the plot of the book that Brian is writing. His best friend's the, the book writer. So this is really the whole movie's not really. It's just a book that that guy's writing. Interesting. So I thought that, oh, well, that is interesting. And then uh, we have uh, the the movie is uh, a hallucination after the crash caused by the drugs that were given to him during reconstructive surgery. So really... It, just whatever you can come up with. I mean, this movie is so screwed. And really, by the time you get to the end of it, you really kind of feel that way, right? You get the idea that, or at least with the tech support guy, he he explains it. But who knows if that's real, I guess. If you call well, that into question, I mean, then you don't, could anything could be happening. You could support even the Brian theory there about the book when yeah. you know they almost get in the car accident. And he says, your life flashed before my eyes. You know, And then you could go off from there. And at that point, it's all, you know, Brian takes over and he's narrating the story because there is weird moments uh, obviously throughout this that are intended just like fight club were to kind of make you go like you know, what the fuck is that uh, right I, yeah obviously the you know there's a moment midway through i'm jumping way ahead here but i want to get to this brian thing while i got it fresh in my mind this is the jason <laughs> scott lee character who's his best friend apparently who's the uh, a novelist working mm-hmm. for the publishing company that cruise owns long story short at one point he says to him Why'd you tell Julie Gianni, Cameron Cruz or Cameron Diaz, that I mm-hmm. that she was my fuck buddy? And he says I didn't. And he looks off to the right briefly, and that always mm-hmm. I thought there's a strange moment there yeah. because he, so did he? Did he not? Because there's a shot in the beginning where he's clearly sitting with her, you know, kind of trying to charm her uh, at the party. It's so that that moment always fucked with me too. So there's a lot of well, she said that he did right, but but right. again. It doesn't. I don't know. Do you have to support everything in this movie? This is another issue I had with this. Was that if 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 everything could be anything, it could all be fake, or it could be fake starting from here or there. I mean, Crow does say that 
um, you know, the, the vanilla sky is the first lucid dream scene, you know, when they, you see the actual vanilla sky, when she wakes him up from the um, suicide, right, which is what the tech support guy says. And so that, it, that all makes sense. But then what if that's a lie, right? I mean, who is this guy? What is this story? What is happening in this? It's never, uh, given to you in a way that's truthful and truthfulness is something that this movie deals with where, uh, people simply aren't truthful. And when you're not truthful, what happens to you? Well, David Ames will tell you, you get fucked. <laughs> dire consequences right. here. Um, I, I love the opening sequence when he, first of all, to supplement what you said about Cameron or uh, Crow there, about his interpretation, he said that the lyrics of the songs also played a big part. So as I watched this, I put on the subtitles as well. And that Radiohead song, uh, Everything is mm -hmm. Wrong, that starts the film, it's it just a beautiful touch, sets the mood perfectly. And the lyrics as well support that there is that something is not right, that it, there's a oddness to what's happening uh, to go along with the visuals, that there's an empty Times Square. And did you notice when he's running down Times Square that there's mm -hmm. a, a Penelope Cruz, Johnny Depp blow banner in the upper left corner? I, saw, I swear I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's, uh, that's interesting. They couldn't have digitally erased that or they didn't really think. Well, it was noticed. 2001. Right. So that well, may have been too expensive. And and, and yeah, it, they may still be in the mindset back then of being of letting that stuff pass by you know because like you say no one will notice so why spend the money to get rid of it yeah because on vhs that's a blur but on a hd world we're we're looking at things like this um also did you notice michael shannon as the yes the right yeah yeah i know i noticed that too and also the the cameos in the the scene the birthday scene with spielberg and mm -hmm. um coming in there and who was repaying that later in minority report cameron crow and cameron diaz are on the train when uh, they're hunting for crews it's a strange, like, payback between those two movies being made. Yeah, why, though? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Just, a, just I, a circle jerk. There's a lot of weird stuff in here. But yeah, but Michael Shannon, uh, I was surprised that he was given such a big, small role. Like, I don't I don't understand why. <laughs> what I was the point? I didn't understand. The character I least understand in this movie is Kurt Russell's character. And mm. I know he's supposed to be in a, a hallucinatory kind of amalgamation of, of the Cruz's hmm. dad and father figures he's made from shows, but it's such a strange character because he plays it with such conviction. He feels, right. he feels once again, the two most real characters in this movie to me are Cameron Diaz and Kurt Russell. And I feel like they are so compelling yeah. that I wish the movie stayed more grounded and let those people exist. You have to admit that every single character is very self-serving to the story. It just, it serves I mean, to, the to a huge degree, on. right? Yeah. Well, um, Cameron Diaz's character obviously is there when she's needed and disappears when not right. The same with Brian, the same with, um, Jason Lee's, uh, character, right. Shows up when needed, gone when not same with Pelby Cruz character, right. The only one who's always there is, is David Ames. Um, and even the, and, and even during the, the, this whole, uh, you know, tech support fiasco that he's having with Kurt Russell there again, he only shows up when he's needed. So does that support the whole movie being a dream? Well, there you know the, the classic line. It's, a buddy oh. of mine loves this movie. Uh, a, a friend of mine absolutely loves this uh, film, and will you know still text me things like "tech support," <laughs> "living the dream." In that phrase, "living the dream," he tells mm -hmm. the guy, "I'm living the dream." I mean, there's so many right. clues to this. Uh, I was telling you off off air a couple nights ago that when Julie Gianni's phone rings in the beginning, it's "row, row, row your boat," and she picks it up right before "life is but a dream," and I just. 
Um, you know, it's just it, things like that are mm -hmm. such weird little insertions that I like it, but I fucking hate it because I feel like somebody's messing with me <laughs> here. You know what I mean? Like, I know there's no there's no definitive answer to this movie, you know, which makes it compelling and makes it. Um, but what do you? dated as well in a lot yeah of how do you feel about the ending though i mean after he goes through all this let's forget about whether it's a dream or not let's just believe tech support uh the guy kills himself you know he can't live with his face all fucked up doesn't like life uh, goes into a lucid dream and then things go bad and then he wakes up in the end and he decides to live again does it support that ending like did this guy really go through enough to come out the other end going yeah life is good now i'm, I'm willing to live now not only that, I thought it was such a strangely nihilistic thinking when he tells him, you know, you have money, but it won't last long. You know, things have changed. This guy mm -hmm. is so ill prepared to deal with life 150 years. Yeah, mean, so he's somebody... been dreaming for 150 years, though, and he's gone nowhere for 150 years. Well, how is he going to get out and do shit, Jack, anything? <laughs> My dad can't fucking figure out YouTube. And he's, <laughs> oh, you know God. He's going, and he's yeah. How in 150 years you're gonna God, figure out well, how to do anything? Well, I tell you, he's gonna have to learn to use the seashells. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That'd be fine. One credit, sir. Uh, yeah, I do not like the ending. The only thing I do like about the ending is that he has to jump off the building, which he tells her he's afraid of heights, the impact, all mm -hmm. that. So he set that as his fail-safe device. I did kind of like that. Uh, the strongest scene in this movie is the car ride between oh, Diaz clearly. and Cruz, right? Between acting uh, and writing. I, I think that's... I thought the, the very best. beginning when she pulls up, right right when he leaves Penelope Cruz's place, you know, and, and she pulls up and they're just she says at, his name at the way. two cars and he's, you know, considering does he just drive off or does he get in the car with her, right? From all that stuff um, up until the, the, the crash is just fantastic. There's a beautiful... Uh, pan in slowly on Cruz when she says just get in the car and she's trying to entice him mm -hmm. and he knows he should get in his car and go to the office and and be responsible and he's he likes this new girl but he goes he does you know he, he's basically sinful and he gets in the car and when she gives him the other tape and she calls her music vivid <laughs> uh it's just and so I never understood either help me clarify this mm -hmm. the Julia Gianni character Cameron Diaz is she an up-and-coming person, or is she already established? Because there's a couple things that make me think she might already be a big star. Brian knows who she is. Her agent, she said, you know, she's not too worried about missing an audition. And she says, I, I don't like your fancy friends. I was fancy. I had them too when I was fancy. Is she a star on the way down, on the way up? Or is she, like, where did you think hmm. she lay on famous, on, on levels of fame? Well, that's a good question. I thought that they, that they had somehow known her from before, right? Which is why Brian kept calling her. It's kind of like, uh, for me, it hit me like, uh, like she was the, the girl that they went to high school with, you know, and everyone wanted to be with her. Um, hmm. I don't know that that's necessarily the case here, but that's how it felt to me. Like when he was, when he was constantly saying, Oh, you're with her, you're with her. Oh, wow. You know? So I don't know if, um, and then he does sit down and talk with her, right? Um, at the piano there when, when she supposedly tells her that they're, that uh, Tom Cruise said they were fuck buddies, right? Mm -hmm. So he does know her. Like, they do seem to have some sort of a history. I always um, assume that so she was know. a starlet or like a movie mm -hmm. star of some sort. And maybe she was on the decline because that's why she says to him, here's yeah, music. That makes like, sense. She was trying to make a jump from, um, you know, he says, my dream yeah. girl. It's like, like you know, like, like, like you and I would talk about Sandra Bullock type thing because you feel like you know her because she's been on the screen for so long. And right. um, that's, that's kind of how I took it there. 
And so when he he rebuck when he rebukes her her CD is really when things go all bad. And we're gonna cut away real quick and let you listen to that um, horrifying scene, honestly, and, and beautifully acted, written. And in my opinion, Diaz was well deserving of at least Oscar consideration for best supporting actress. I think she is also at her most stunning here. I think she looks absolutely gorgeous in this movie. I think you'd agree too. But uh, let's break real quick and let you listen to the sequence. We'll be right back. What is happiness? It's for me. This is happiness. It's being with you. It's one thing that bothers me. Why did you tell Brian that I was your fuck buddy? I didn't tell him that. I didn't say that. Hey, when did you stop caring, David? Caring about what? About the consequences of the promises that you've made. Promises? Yeah, the promises. I thought... Get the fuck. What are you talking about? Do you understand how hard it is to pretend to be your buddy? David, I love you. I fucking love you. I fucking love you! Fuck! Hey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't do this. You fucked me four times the other night, David. You've been inside me. Julie. I swallowed your cum. That means something. Slow down. Four hey. times. It means something, David. Four times. Stop the car. It's 24 hours a day. I live with this aching possibility that you might call me to do something. Okay, let's go to your house and we'll talk this out. I want to see where you live. Let's just slow down. I want you to stop the car, Julie. I want you to stop the car. Don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? Tell me something, David. I mean, do you believe in God? What are you doing? Okay, I love you. I love you. All right, that's more horrific to me than any horror movie or Michael Myers type thing. <laughs> I mean, isn't that just a... a, a a, see, a movie, a sequence in a movie that does never, it can never top that scene. And it never does ever come close. That's the point to me is that the high point of that movie is 40 minutes in. And then it's all kind of uh, a bit of a mess after that. Yeah, it's wishy-washy after that. Do you feel that uh, Penelope Cruz's character was established well enough to understand why no, he was so obsessed absolutely with not. That's but I don't, I but I don't think any of the characters are, right? They're all very self-serving to the story. Like I said, they come and they go um, when necessary. And they're very heavy-handed. Um, so it comes across like you get it. Oh, he loves her and this and that. And, and you understand everything in the moment, but nothing's really explained beyond that. Which could support the dream theory where people in your dreams only support what you want them to do, you know, typically. Right. Yeah. Like do these people, do these characters even exist, um, you know, when Ames isn't there? You know, they don't seem to. Brian really is supposed to be writing and doing all this stuff, but he doesn't seem to be doing shit um, unless he's around. David, and then it's just more like talking about stuff, right? I mean, nobody uh, outside of, of him really seems to be accomplishing anything. Even um, even his friend, uh, the lawyer guy, lets him know about Citizen Dildo, you know, doesn't is like incapable of doing anything. 
and until I mean he's he's being fired. I mean as we meet him and he's the guy that right. in a way which I always thought was a weak story element, a character that is given not an afterthought, who's apparently working behind the scenes off camera, you know, in the peripheral of the story, and he saves him for what reason though? So that he ends up killing himself and the board takes control anyways. Like it seemed yeah. like such a strange. Uh, once again, the movie. Well, but didn't nobody know could what do anything do. without without David, right? The board couldn't. Uh, the, the company couldn't survive until David decided to go save it. The board couldn't take the company from David until David decided to kill himself, right? Like everything is so David oriented. It just seems uh, weird to me. And again, I don't know if that's on purpose or if that's just you know how things. Well, that's why this movie is so fucked up and hard to to understand. Like I said, this has got to be. Cruise at his most powerful with the studio to go in there and tell him, "Hey, I want to make a movie where I kill myself, and my character basically commits suicide." Uh, but we won't tell anyone that till the end, you know. So, <laughs> I, but like, it's such a crazy idea, and there's such foreshadowing all through this movie too. When when David tells Sophia that uh, he has a stalker, and she replies to right. him, "It doesn't sound life threatening," which ultimately it proves <laughs> exactly to be, you know. And then, um, but I just never, I, as much as I think that Penelope Cruz is, you know, an attractive person, and her her character is made kind of. I'm kind of cutesy here and there. I just never saw the connection or what they did in the Benny the Dog thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so that, that's such a sidebar and such a strange well, addition do, to me. They do uh, ref. They do talk about the, the the fact that he barely knows her, right? And that's why she's not really when he comes back with a fucked up face, right? She, she, she tries to make that connection again with her and is unable to. And then Brian even says, you know, like you barely know this girl. Like, what do you fuck do you think? What do you want from her? Like just in general. So in a way it's really just his infatuation with her and not necessarily that they're in love. Although, um, they don't really fall in love until after this, you know, the lucid dreams. So. Right. Cause that sequence in the nightclub is well done admittedly as well. Right. Um, I like and that it's sequence. fucking hysterical. Fix your face, man. That shit. Yeah. That's, and he's, and he laughs at it. You know, and even of course, the, the there's just a lot of shit that's funny in that movie that I forgot about the interchange with the bartender. I like that too. Mm-hmm. The back and forth there. I like, um, when he puts the, the mask on the back of his head and the way it looks with his hair, it's kind of creepy with the, with the vibes that's going on there. Right. Um, just the whole thing. I just like certain things that were being done in that sequence. And then, you know, uh, I, I think it was Ebert who brings it up and says that this is like the the third movie or the second movie in a row, especially with Minority Report following where he does it again, where Cruz does something to his face. You know, Mission Impossible where he's wearing a mask, this, and then in Minority Report he like messes his face up at sequences mm-hmm. and, you know, what that was all about. And it's a strange, strange thing when you have the biggest movie star in the world who wants to do possibly a passion project or he just really wanted to meet penelope cruz i can't decide which one it was <laughs> did he really like the material that much well, or was he like hey it, she screws all of it's her interesting stars. right yeah he did see the movie and was like uh you know i want to buy this and remake it so maybe i don't know, you know maybe, when, maybe he, he knew he wanted her to he just wanted to get her i don't know well also the you know the theory <laughs> that, that everything's a, a dream after or that obviously he's dead after when the vanilla skies appear and he wakes right. up in the street and he tells the narrator he tells the, the psychiatrist that they created a whole world together from that point on so from that point on everything can be can reconstructed as the dream but i mean this is just going around in circles right. and i think that one of the great scenes in that movie as well is the the park scene immediately following the car crash sequence when he's in the middle of of a beautiful, you know, fall park with her and mm-hmm. it, it, he, she's there, they're embracing. And then like, oddly, she's like pulling away from him. Like it would be in a dream, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I, I like I like those yeah. touches. I just wish this movie didn't go so fucking far off the rails. <laughs> because to make with it that last sequence, why is he well, like even rushing? there? But to make it all worse, then you have it intercut with the whole murder uh, nonsense stuff leading up to that, right? And so it's like, what the hell thing. is going on? Yeah, like why are you ever for why are a we second doing this? Think that he he murdered the wrong person and Sophia. And, and no, 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 no. By the time you get to the point where he's um. Where he's, you know, killing people, you're either thinking he's crazy and this will be over in that way or it's not real. Right. Because it's, it's right. such back and forth. And I like the way it's acted. Believe me, I think Cameron Diaz does a great job in that sequence trying to convince him um, that mm-hmm. everything's OK and going from, you know, having sex to then um, telling him, like, you're losing it. And I, I just think that's a great sequence once again mm-hmm. from her. But when he finally takes everybody to the the lab the the cryogenics lab right that goes on forever that that elevator sequence yeah to have no to have not much ending. of an ending i know that's what i'm saying that that's it's well they a, have that extended cut that alternative ending which is really just an extended version of that which says nothing else nothing different just has like more pieces to him finally getting to the fucking elevator and the strange thing is we like this movie, right? I'm getting the sense that like it's I would give it a recommendation and tell people to go back and look. This happens to me with Cameron Crowe movies uh, in general, a lot of them, you know, where I just think, fuck, like, you know, I liked I liked the, the pieces of this movie and the things. And when I would get into it and really talk about the movie, I do like it. But there are things that just rub you so wrong, you know, and that I don't know, you can't get over the good and you can't get over the bad. Totally. I would agree. I, I like, For instance, I do not believe for an instance that uh, the David Ames character would have an oversized Jules and Jim, you know, a guitar film, <laughs> uh, poster in his room. I just right. I know it supports all the, the you know, the, the mise en scene and all the, the stuff that's going on in there. But I just do not. Things like that irritate me in this movie where you go. Oh, it just doesn't ring true. I don't think that that character would even have that reference. Would even have seen that movie. Yeah, that was uh that was something I thought was interesting here. I, I didn't feel like this, and while this is clearly Cameron Crowe's influence, I didn't feel like it was very David Ames influenced, right? Which is, I guess, exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I was telling you, I don't, I also, these aren't my cultural references. This is a baby boomer era, cult, you know, references with Dylan and a lot of things like that. So a, a lot of this shit was over my head. You know, I thought, well, especially when I saw it at, at the time I was, you know, in my early 20s. And, but I don't. Understand, David Ames doesn't really seem to give a shit about art in general. So, why would he? Uh, why would he be so artistic? Wanting to not even artistic, but just like you know, like uh, you know, create th- this lucid dream womb where he feels safe. Why would he want to create it out of very art arty things? Oh, yeah, media. I, I mean, is, is it a strange take on media? I mean, it's basically Matrix style. I mean, this is one of those mind trip movies that came out that year when memento mm-hmm. this and and a few others um were out in a out in play let's break for a second here and uh, listen to ebert and roper really kind of rave about this so uh let, listen to this we'll be back right there Manhattan traffic is a nightmare, but absolutely no traffic is more of a nightmare for Tom Cruise in Vanilla Sky. It's one of six big holiday movies we'll review this week. I'm Richard Roper. And I'm Roger Ebert. Vanilla Sky is one of those mind game thrillers where neither the audience nor the characters can be quite sure what constitutes reality. 
The movie's sensational opening shot in a deserted Times Square is only a dream, but what else is not what it seems? Tom Cruise stars as a whiz kid publisher who's having an affair with Cameron Diaz when he falls in love at first sight with Penelope Cruz. She's with his best friend, but hey, what are friends for? David Ames. And to what do I owe this pleasure? The pleasure of Sofia Serrano. We met today at the library, if you can believe that. He doesn't think his new romance will be a problem since he and Cameron Diaz are only good friends. Diaz sees it a little differently. When did you stop caring, David? Slow down, Julie. When you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not. Do you believe in God? The tale of the publisher's life and loves is intercut with a mysterious parallel story in which he stands accused of murder. Kurt Russell conducts a court-appointed interrogation. Four weeks. The judge will determine your fate, so you will talk to me. There is no murder. After seeing Vanilla Sky, I knew I had to see it again, and I did, and I played with different notes and nuances the second time. What's impressive is how the performances by Tom Cruise, Penelope Cruz, and Cameron Diaz create an emotional reality even with all the confusion swirling around them. It's like a realistic movie exists inside the other stuff. The film was directed by Cameron Crowe based on the Alejandro Aminobar Spanish film named Open Your Eyes that also starred Penelope Cruz. And let me just ask one question. Is there something about the first three words of Vanilla Sky that calls into question every single other thing that happens in the entire film? Listen carefully and decide for yourself. Yeah, you're right. You have to start paying attention really from the start. And there are some other clues throughout this movie, images on television screens, and it all it all comes together yeah. beautifully. This is a spectacular film. I saw the original, and that's sort of like the acoustic version, and this is the full orchestrated <laughs> version. But Cameron Crowe does a wonderful job of lacing this all together. And you're so right about how the characters stay true to the moments they're in. So we're not really sure what's going on all the way through. I found it to be fascinating. It's, it's kind of a footnote for Tom Cruise to Eyes Wide Shut, the Stanley Kubrick picture. It involves a mask. It yeah, involves yeah. Uh, infidelities. It involves mystery about exactly what reality consists of. But it's, it's more in the tradition, I think, of movies like uh, uh, Mulholland Drive, where you mm -hmm. really have to think back after you've seen it to figure out what happened. A lot of the best movies we've seen this year play around with dreams and what's real yeah. and what's not. Memento. Uh, Waking Life is another one, obviously. And this one, you know, Tom Cruise is probably the biggest movie star in the world. you got to give him credit for doing movies like Magnolia yes. and Eyes Wide Shut, not just the Mission Impossibles, which he does as well and makes the big money, but to do, you know, to put his power behind a movie like this to get people to see Early it. in his career, he knew that there was a danger he would just be a matinee idol. And so he started right away doing yeah. pictures like Born on the Fourth of July, and he continues to look for these challenges. He should get nominated here, and several other people should as well. All right. As you can tell, Ropert really liked this one. Put it on his, I think, second best for the year, third maybe, for 2001. Hmm. They both gave thumbs up, right? I thought. Yeah, but Ebert saw mm -hmm. this a couple times, and I do think this movie does get a lot better on the second go-round because you can look for the little hidden gems and things like that. I don't like know that. how you would watch it um, very closely to Two viewings close together, though. Ooh. No, it took me about fifteen years to get back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hadn't seen it since uh, since the early two thousands as well. You know, there's there's no way it, and I couldn't watch it again. And as a musical score on this movie, I don't think that it's all that great. I, I think there's some uh, points that work, and I think that some points really are, are oddly well, off. Well, what she said about it is that they were really trying to do experimental sound collages, and that's what it comes off as. So this is really not much of a score. When you think about it, and when I generally think of uh, um, 
of Cameron Crowe movies and scores, I typically don't think of scores. I typically think more of soundtracks, and that's how he tends to really score his movies. Yeah, like Scorsese. They, they, they use yeah. existing music. Yeah, I would agree on that. And uh, the, the whole idea of this movie and the, the Pebble Play Cruise, Tom Cruise relationship that it spawned, I mean, really, that was more lasting in people's mind than this movie. When has that happened recently, right? I mean, I, I, obviously, you know, Jolie and Pitt, but who that, that really doesn't happen that often, it seems, anymore, does it? It was not as often as it was happening during this era. But quite a know? bit, right? You had Crow and uh, Ryan and uh, um, yeah. who yeah. else? And uh, yeah, quite a few people were just, uh, and it was all, it was like the media frenzy, but I haven't heard... Well, obviously, Ben and, for a long ben time. and Jay, I mean, the, the Ben Affleck, right, right. the, the J-Lo thing. Yeah. And, yeah, so this was in that era for sure. And uh, I don't know, a strange, strange movie for, for Cruz. Maybe his, his toughest uh, to get through uh, in, in terms of not a lot of entertainment value here because it's so dense. I mean, I went back and watched Fight Club over the summer. I saw it uh, in a, a theater and they were pre showing it and that is a dense fucking movie and not a lot of fun really as, as you're watching it <laughs> really i remember it being fun i have to rewatch it May, i'm telling you maybe i'm just getting older and it's uh I'm just like, mm -hmm. these boys should be home doing something productive <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> be in a gym love boxing yeah it's like so uh, i don't know but it just it didn't have the same effect on me and vanilla sky as i'm aged here a little bit uh i could appreciate the david ames character a lot more and like I said I mm -hmm. really just wanted to see I wish the whole movie was him and Cameron Diaz's characters uh, you know him dealing with that star I wish it was basically a stalker movie like that <laughs> yeah me too I would much rather have had not had any of the sci-fi elements to it and just dealt with those four characters um, I'm sorry Kurt Russell but you're cut out and just have it been about that you know yeah I agree 100% so that's our uh, our rewrite on the, on the yeah. topic right there so <laughs> Anybody wants to know, that's how we would have done Middle of the Sky, okay? <laughs> it, would not, it would have been the bastardized Hollywood version of some movie that has nothing to do with anymore. <laughs> oh, we're such douchebags. We'd have pitched it called, let's call Living the Dream, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it even says it on page 12, I swear. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad we went back and, and looked at this because a Cameron Crowe movie always deserves to, to be looked at. I mean, I got to go back and look at Elizabeth Town again. Uh, I, I recall yeah. really not liking that. And you said it's it's worth it. Me as second. well. And I recently rewatched it. And again, in the moments uh, when I was watching that movie, I really loved it. And I really liked some of the, the dialogue. And, and um, you know, when it was over, I thought, eh, you know, it's not a good movie. But when you while you watch it, it is a good movie. And that's the, the, the best thing I can say about Crow's uh, work. Crow's work to me always reminded me of James L. Brooks and those guys, you know, um, guys like as good as it gets. Things that are not necessarily mm -hmm. um, they're kind of lumpy. You know, Jeremy yeah. Barnaby is lumpy. This is lumpy. They aren't yeah. streamlined and smooth. They're, they they they've got some flaws and they're they're but they're kind of a lovable creature. You know, I got a mm -hmm. beast and it's kind of unwieldy at times. And uh, there's always to me in Game Crow movies subplots that go way off in, in, in the sh you know, shooting distance for no reason. And I think this most honed in work would be almost famous and it feels like his most undisciplined. Oh yeah. Um, but I'm mean, gonna say anything and singles I think are often overlooked as well. I mean, say anything's gotten a lot of uh, cult status because of that last sequence. But if you go back and watch, a lot of people forget that Don the Dragon Wilson's in that movie and a lot of other good <laughs> actors. And, uh, but no, I mean, singles as well. Singles is a great, great movie, especially for that early grunge scene. You, look yeah. at that, you go, oh my God. Singles is hard to get through now. Is it? 
I like Sable. It's very dry, I thought, but I don't know. But he was he was working. He's been working, and uh, I, I hope mm-hmm. that Aloha doesn't just can totally kill his career off. And I don't see how it could. I think we've already forgotten about it at this point. And even even still, um, there's there's much to like in Aloha. There's just much to hate as well. <laughs> Once again, it's unwieldy as all hell. Well, that's going to wrap up our Vanilla Sky retrospective. Uh, Trevor and I both say, go back and check out this movie. It's worth another look. Not one of the classics, but uh, definitely one of the better movies of 2001. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this retrospective. You can listen to all of our past podcasts at MovieMavericks.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you may be getting your podcasts. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with you soon. Speaking of Trevor Anderson, I'm Jason Rugard, and we are Movie Mavericks. Special menu for your delight, oh my Tonight you fly so high up in the vanilla sky Your life is fine, it's sweet and sour, unbearable or great You gotta love every hour, you must appreciate This is your time, this is your day Got it all. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
Chumba. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.